Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Finland and Sweden make NATO stronger. Together we are taking a historic step. The yeas are 86, the nays are 11, and the bill is passed. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. We are dealing with an infant formula emergency in this nation. The integrity of the organization was compromised. That is a dereliction of duty. Back to the kitchen table for the babies, for the children. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The U.S. Senate clears $40 billion more for Ukraine as Finland and Sweden visit the White House in their bid to join NATO. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We have breaking news from both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue and a conversation ahead with Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia on the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committees with some very determined thoughts about how this should all be conducted. The baby formula shortage becomes a crisis. We'll have details on efforts to fix it in Washington and discuss with Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, who is out with legislation to help. Analysis from the panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. The money for Ukraine clears the Senate. Happened a short time ago, more than $40 billion, even more than President Biden requested. The yeas are 86, the nays are 11, and the bill is passed. Senator Angus King, the independent from Maine, with the tally. This sends the bill, of course, to President Biden, who wants to sign it, and today hosted the leaders of Finland and Sweden at the White House to show support for their bid to join NATO. Today I'm proud to welcome and offer the strong support of the United States for the applications of two great democracies and two close, highly capable partners to join the strongest, most powerful defensive alliance in the history of the world. They gathered in a sunny rose garden with the media on hand. And I discussed all of this earlier today on Capitol Hill with Senator Tim Kaine, as I mentioned, the Democrat from Virginia, who serves on the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committees, of course, Hillary Clinton's one-time running mate. I started by asking him if he was a yes on aid for Ukraine. I am. To continue the real uptick in military and humanitarian support for Ukraine, we need to help them beat this illegal invasion of of their country by Vladimir Putin. The president, of course, made the call, an urgent call, a couple of weeks ago at this point. $33 billion, it's crept up to about $40 billion. And this, this bill was held up, as I'm sure you well know, by Senator Rand Paul, who had concerns about oversight. And I know that you specifically were not in favor of the individual he was talking to. Even went further to talk about the impact on inflation through deficit spending. In principle, why is he wrong? Well, he's not wrong on oversight. So I mean, he had a, a fairly vanilla oversight amendment that all of us said, you're right, there ought to be oversight in these monies. But then he started to dictate the terms of who the oversight should be done by. And we don't do that in oversight bills. Oversight, yes, but letting one senator pick who the oversight 
uh, official will be, that's not the way we do it. But on the oversight, we need to, and we will. We will provide oversight. Will the president be allowed to, to appoint a watchdog? How do you see it best fit for this use? Well, I, th- I think the, uh, the, the there are traditional ways that you set up inspector generals and you set them up as independent of the agency. And so they are executive appointed, but they are not sort of embedded within the, the agency performing the function so that they can have true independence. Do you worry about the inflationary component or is the senator from Kentucky making too much out of that? Well, I, I actually think the best thing, one of the best things in the world for inflation would be if this war is over because the Russian invasion of Ukraine is causing massive disruption in energy markets, which is leading to inflation. So allowing Russia to succeed um, would make things worse. So winning the war is how you beat inflation it is, is, is there's, your message. There's other strategies, too, yeah. for beating inflation, but certainly in the energy sector and also in the food sector. Ukraine is a, is a huge food producer, and when they are not able to export uh, to other parts of the world, it creates hunger and also has an impact on food prices. Again, if we help them beat this illegal invasion, it will help bring prices down. So, Senator, the bill goes to the president. He signs it. What happens after that? How will this work in conjunction with the Lend-Lease Act? And what will it buy for Ukraine? So what, what, what you see right now, we did the $13.6 billion aid package a couple of months ago. And then about every week you see President Biden releases $300 million yeah. or $500 million. What we do is once we know what the scope is, our uh, military is in very close touch with the Ukrainian Defense Forces and also with the other allies who are providing defense support. And we are in dialogue every day. What do you need and where do you need it and when do you need it? And then we release tranches of aid based on those discussions. And, and each week the need is a little bit different, but the communication and the intelligence sharing, the Ukrainian Defense Forces have been heavily trained by the U.S. and NATO since 2014, after the invasion of Crimea, we dramatically um, increased the pace of training with the Ukrainian Defense Forces. So we have been very cooperative for the last eight years, and that turns makes it easy to make real-time decisions with them about what they need. As we speak here today, Senator, the leaders of Finland and Sweden are with President Biden talking about their bid to join NATO. I'm sure you support that bid. But do you worry about Vladimir Putin seeing this as an escalation, that this could be, in fact, a dangerous development? You know, Vladimir Putin, worrying about what will provoke Putin, I think the guy was born provoked. I mean, just listen to this language he uses. I'm, I'm invading Ukraine because they need to be denazified. When Vladimir Zelensky is one of three heads of state in the world who's Jewish. I mean, this guy lives in an alternate reality. He was born provoked. I don't think there's anything that we can do right now that will provoke him. Sweden and Finland have maintained neutrality because they felt like they needed to have good relations with this sizable nation right on their border. But now they see Russia as a dangerous and destabilizing force and, and even dangerous to their own national security. And they want to link arms with other democracies to um, protect ourselves and be an ally with democracies around the globe. I think it's very possible. From your view, though, a unique view on armed services and foreign relations, does that potentially add to the chances this creeps beyond the borders of Ukraine? Um, I, I would argue it probably, look, Vladimir Putin, it's hard to predict. It might have the opposite effect. He, he clearly had an expectation he could go into Ukraine, topple the government, take it over, depose Zelensky. Um, he's realized his ambitions were wrong. The Ukrainians don't want to be part of Russia. Even, even the most pro-Russian parts of Ukraine on the Russian border, Russian speakers, Russian national Ukrainians, they've seen what Vladimir Putin has done in Donetsk and Luhansk and said, we don't want any part of it. 
And so this has backfired. And when he sees Sweden and Finland abandoning decades of neutrality to join NATO, you know, he or somebody else in Russia needs to come to their senses about what a disaster this illegal war is. Senate approved our new U.S. ambassador to Ukraine last yes. evening. What does Ambassador Brink bring to the table? What will that change in the war effort? Well, it, it first it sends a powerful symbol to the Ukrainian people when we reopen our embassy in Kiev. The uh, European nations have done that in recent weeks. This is a time when communication at all levels between the U.S. and Ukraine, at the political level, at the military level, at, at Congress, people and parliamentarians, more communication helps. Um, and having a, a U.S. embassy, flagship embassy there in Kiev, that will... Um, that will send a powerful signal and improve the communication that we do every day. China is, of course, watching and uh, making some noise as the president prepares for his trip to Asia, suggesting that it that we're taking a dangerous road, I think was the quote uh, from China's foreign minister with regard to Taiwan. As the president prepares to engage with South Korea Japan, what is it that keeps you up at night? The threat from North Korea as they prepare another nuke test or China? Um, China is the one that I worry more about. Um, North Korea, sadly, if they feel like they're being ignored, then they want to do something to get everybody's attention back. I mean, it's, which is, which is kind of a sad statement about the leadership of that country. I have complete trust in our defensive capacities to deal with a threat from North Korea. The China threat is, is a multi-level threat. It's military, it's economic, it's diplomatic. China is an adversary across many, many domains. And in some instances, a competitor. And in some instances, we even cooperate together. So it's a complex relationship. Um, I, I think it's important that we are providing together with others, Taiwan, with the ability to defend their own country. And that's what they want. And we ought to be providing them with that. And what China has seen that, you know, they pledged forever friendship with Russia right before the Beijing Winter Olympics. Yes. I don't know that they were, were meaning to pledge forever friendship with a war criminal. And uh, I have reason to believe they're now questioning the degree they want to completely link arms with a Russia that's committing war crimes. But they've, what they, China has also seen is they've not only been, you know, gotten a, a vision into who Vladimir Putin is, their forever friend. They've also seen how quickly the democracies of the world will link arms and stand up against an illegal invasion of somebody else's country. Um, and they see the, the impact that sanctions and military and humanitarian aid can have. So we're not embarking on a dangerous road with Taiwan. We're trying to do the kinds of things that will enable them to defend themselves and that China would view that as dangerous. I think that's that's a language that they're using. I, I, they, don't, they don't think we have any designs on Taiwan, um, but, but the fact that Taiwan has more ability to defend itself, I guess, is troubling to them. These are dangerous times, and we have a lot to talk about, but I'll ask you lastly about this baby formula story. The House has acted on this. Is there a legislative solution in the Senate? I'm, I'm reading that it may not pass the Senate. Is there more that can be done than what the White House is doing? I think you'll see us take this bill up in the Senate next week and vote, and I would say you're going to see every Democrat, I believe, vote for it. There's got to be 10 Republicans. As much as they've been out bashing Joe Biden for this, and I want to come back to how inaccurate that is, as much as they've been out bashing him about it, you would think they would vote to solve it, and I hope we'll see that. I mean, look, this is a challenge that was driven by the largest manufacturing facility for infant formula in the United States had serious safety problems. The last thing we want is for people to be buying formula off shelves and have it be tainted, have it be dangerous to their kids. So the safety problems were so serious that that plan had to be shut down. 
We're now uh, going to use the Defense Production Act to increase production. We're allowing importation of formula that's safe from other countries. The uh, company that closed its plant down has reached an agreement to do some fixes. They should be reopened within two weeks and starting to produce again. So we will solve this problem. I think you'll see that be bipartisan, but we'll have to have that vote next week and see. Senator Tim Kaine earlier today talking with us in the halls of Congress just to get back to the Ukraine vote today. As we told you, it was 86 to 11. Okay, 11 Republicans voted no for the additional funding for Ukraine, starting with Rand Paul, who, of course, already expressed issues. We talked about that with Senator Kaine. The other no votes. Senators Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, John Boozman, Arkansas, Mike Braun, Indiana, Mike Crapo, Idaho. Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, Josh Hawley of Missouri, Mike Lee of Utah, Roger Marshall of Kansas, Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming, and Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, all coming out against the legislation, despite cries from Republicans and criticism that President Biden was not doing enough to enrich the Ukrainians in their war effort. We'll assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie for their take on this. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. The money is moving to Ukraine. More than $40 billion clearing the Senate, even as 11 Republicans vote no. Thanks for being with us on the Thursday edition of Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Chantano and Rick Davis are with us with a couple of moving parts today. It's not just the funding for Ukraine, but of course, before President Biden left for his trip to Asia, which we'll be talking more about in the days ahead, he hosted the leaders of Finland and Sweden at the White House. They held an event, as you might have heard earlier this hour, to support their bids to join NATO, which appears to be on the fast track right now. So things are happening. And Jeannie, I'd like to start with the bill on Ukraine. This comes after Republicans told the president he was not doing enough, that we had to send more, more MiGs, more missiles, more everything. And I read the uh, statement here uh, from Senator Haggerty, Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, says the size of this bill is the size of my state's annual budget. When a much more obvious answer is we should stop the war on American energy right now. Has the president lost some Republicans when it comes to this war effort? There is obviously, as Mitch McConnell himself said, a growing isolationist trend. And and I'm not even so sure it's growing. It's always been there, at least for some time in the Republican side. Likewise, there is that in the Democratic side as well. But the reality is, and for people like Josh Hawley and Rand Paul and Marsha Blackburn and all these people, these 11 in the Senate now on top of the 57 in the House who voted against this bill, is 
What is it they are proposing to do? The president is right now heading to Asia for this first big trip. Mm -hmm. If the United States takes no action of substantial proportion to allow Ukraine to defend itself, we are going to then be in a challenge at vis-a-vis Taiwan and China. This is very much like Ronald Reagan's idea in the 1980s. You support people who want to defend themselves, in that case with communism. Mm -hmm. In this case, if we don't do this, We then will be entering because we have a NATO obligation when Putin enters our NATO allies. So Ukraine wants to defend itself. Let's allow them to do that. Does this come down to oversight, Rick? Was this the Rand Paul complaint that we're spending too much without oversight, without accountability, and potentially adding to inflation with deficit spending, which, of course, Senator Tim Kaine kind of dismissed uh, earlier this hour when we were talking with him? I realize Rand Paul is one thing, but are these other senators – are going to be called out for this? Or, or, or I'm assuming that they wanted to send more money to Ukraine. What made them say no? Well, I don't think you can assume they want to send more money to Ukraine. I think that they fall along different fault lines. I mean, obviously, Rand Paul most notably is sure. the anti-deficit hawk uh, in the caucus. And, and and so, you know, he usually complains about any kind of spending and especially deficit spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's his grind. And a few of them have that, that point of view. But they also fall on the non-interventionist line, which regardless of spending, they don't want to have U.S. Uh, activity in a war zone outside the United States. And that could be in Syria, that could be in Afghanistan, that could be anywhere else. In this case, it just happens to be in the Ukraine. And then there are those like Josh Hawley who are really nationalists, right? They don't even want to talk about what's going on outside our borders. They just want to focus in on what's happening here and and, and believe that a strong country, uh, you know, pursuing his nationalist goals uh, is is strong enough to ward off any other kind of threats from around the world. Um, you know, look, these are doves uh, at the core of it uh, huh. in a hawk um, uh, party. And, uh, huh. and yet there are a lot more of them now than there used to be. I remember Lindsey Graham specifically told me that he ran against uh refer president in 2016 to 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 be a contrast to Rand Paul who was many wow. of us have forgotten actually running for president in 2016 yes, right. didn't uh, last very long here does this become an issue uh, for them though uh, on on the campaign trail those that will be up for re-election Rick you voted no to send more money to Ukraine it was a republican principle to send as much as we could to Ukraine you know, I mean, they're coming from pretty conservative states, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, Indiana, Idaho. Uh, but they also have incredibly high numbers of military and military veterans in their states. And I think ultimately this kind of activity, which is just politics, right? They knew this bill was going to pass and they took sure. a walk on it to try and make a political point. And, mm-hmm. and at some point, I do think that backfires on you. Would they have voted yes if it was a, a Trump bill, Jeannie? Uh, I'm not so sure about that. You know, you look at the polls, the morning consult shows the number of Republicans who are saying the U.S. is doing too much in Ukraine has doubled since March. So, you know, I I don't know if if even Donald Trump himself, as much control as he has over this wing of the party, could have could have made that case. But of course, Donald Trump has gone along with this isolationist trend as it pertains to Ukraine. He's been criticizing this spending as well. So there are shades of bipartisanship uh, here, Rick. As far as Finland and Sweden are concerned, I'm assuming that is a bipartisan uh, move here. Republicans and Democrats want to see the alliance the alliance uh, expanded here in this case and to protect our allies in Europe. Tim Kaine, who, of course, serves on armed services and uh, foreign relations, told us earlier he thinks that will actually have the opposite effect on Vladimir Putin. This will not be escalatory, but in fact might contain the war to Ukraine. Is he right? 
Well, I, I hope he's right. Um, you know, you don't want to do things that are, is going to needlessly um, uh, accelerate uh, the, the Russian war machine. Uh, uh, although I'll comment once again that the Russian war machine may not be able to escalate even if he wanted to. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it's good policy, right? I mean, the more we have other economies involved, other militaries involved, it shores up the capability, but it also spreads the risk. And I think that's a good thing for the United States and, and, and most of Europe. So uh, I, this is a very good propaganda tool to show that other Western nations are pulling together exactly the opposite of what Vladimir Putin thought he mm-hmm. was going to achieve. And so it's a huge strategic gain for us and a horrible strategic loss for Putin. A wise move, Jeannie? Uh, It is, and hopefully they get Turkey and Erdogan to go along with it because that's that's the impediment right now. That is a question. As we spend time with Rick and Jeannie today on Sound On, they'll be back in a bit with us for the hour as we turn to the baby formula crisis. Abbott FDA formula deal stirs Democrats' ire. They were upset today, and we have it next on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. ...over baby formula. The FDA chair answering questions on Capitol Hill today about the shortage. We're going to talk about it next with Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, who's been urging the administration to act. We'll get her take next with an eye on Capitol Hill once again, not for Ukraine this time, but the baby formula shortage. Which House Appropriations Committee chair Rosa DeLauro, the Democrat from Connecticut, calls a crisis and wants to know why it took so long. And why the FDA entered an agreement that will allow production to resume at the Abbott Labs plant in Sturgis, Michigan, as Abbott deals with the fallout from four babies becoming sick. Now, we're given infant formula in recent months. There were two fatalities. Delora concerned the agency, the FDA, has not dealt with the whistleblower's claims seriously. Whomever looked at that report felt that there was no need to respond at all from October to February until there was a recall. That is a dereliction of duty, in my view. And in addition to which, you have the the person who was the acting commissioner should have done that. Now it would appear that that person is going to oversee this effort. That is the fox in the hen house. We're joined for more on this by Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, who, as I mentioned, has been urging the administration to act and is out with legislation of her own. Congresswoman, welcome back to Bloomberg. Thank you for having me. I could not help but to notice the president's chief of staff retweeted you last night, a tweet that you posted with a red siren referring to the administration's decision to invoke the Defense Production Act. You write, quote, I've been pressing the chief of staff and the president to take this step, and I'm glad they're listening. Why, Congresswoman, did the White House wait until they heard from lawmakers like you? Well, in my conversations with the White House Chief of Staff um, last week, um, we were going back and forth about how the circumstances of actually putting the Defense Production Act into place, uh, how that would be instituted, what would be the the results, and and how to go about uh, moving forward on that. So I've been pressing them since last week to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, aggressively, I, I suppose I am known to be a bit of a squeaky wheel on Capitol Hill, um, aggressively to take this action and also recognizing that the result of invoking the Defense Production Act wouldn't be immediate, immediate, that in the interim, it would be important to get baby formula on the shelves and, and to do so by bringing it in from other countries. Certainly as a mother of three girls, uh, and I relied on, on baby formula 
throughout their infancy, and in, including when I lived overseas where uh, my middle daughter was born, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that foreign formula can meet all of our same standards and be on shelves fast is, is something that I urge the White House to, to take action on. A lot of people are, of course, asking what took so long. Uh, and your colleague, Representative Rosa DeLauro, today in a hearing with the FDA chair called this a dereliction of duty on the part of the FDA and that Abbott Labs was not being honest about the problems at its facility. Here's what she said quickly. I'd love to have you respond. If the allegations are true, the company has lied, cut corners, falsified records to cover up their misdoings at the risk of infant health and retaliated against employees who tried to correct the problems they were seeing. Congresswoman, should the FDA allow that Abbott plant to reopen without further investigation? Well, I think there should be absolutely further investigation into what happened, how it happened, when it happened, when people had any idea that we were on the trajectory towards a shortage. Um, uh, But as to whether or not that particular plant uh, should be stopped from opening, I mean, it's about safely having the capacity uh, of production to put baby formula on the shelves in the quantity that we need it nationwide. Um, I have a piece of legislation that I'm working on with Dusty Johnson, Republican from South Dakota, focused on ensuring that legally there is a requirement on the shoulders of baby formula manufacturers that when it looks like there might be a potential for a shortage, that they have the requirement to report that to the FDA. So that there's no guessing, there's no questions about what that looks like. And we're going to be introducing that legislation, should be tomorrow, um, so that there's a legal requirement that they they know their business best. And when they are on path towards a potential shortage like this, not being able to meet the demands of their their purchasers and and ultimately the consumers who rely on that baby formula to keep their kids fed, uh, that they are raising the alarm bells and the red flags as early as possible. The commissioner says the FDA has reached a deal with manufacturers to resume production while streamlining regulations that will allow apparently additional companies to sell baby formula. We need we need more to do this. Should we trust the FDA in streamlining regulations after what's already happened? Well, so I think it's it's important to look at what the what the regulations are. So there's regulations related to, for example, WIC, which is a program that that some families rely on to be able to purchase baby formula mm-hmm. uh, for their families, but that currently has allowed for uh, formula manufacturers to have unique contracts state to state. So basically, in enshrining some what what some may consider anti-competitive behavior state to state, and further reducing competition within the marketplace. Of course, we only have uh, just a few baby formula manufacturers uh, across the country, which means when there is such a crisis as what we've seen uh, with the Abbott production plant, that it can throttle our nation's ability. I guess the the, the overriding question here, Congresswoman, is is the FDA the weak link here? Is it the agency's fault that it got this far? They could have acted months ago. I, I mean, I think right right now, and, and certainly I'm not defending the FDA in any way, but I think right now the blame needs to be squarely with Abbott. Uh, they are the producer of baby formula. They have been in this industry for years upon years upon years. Uh, they are the ones that saw their production levels declining. They are the ones that, because of the death of two infants, um, ultimately had to shut down a factory. And so, yes, I want to have oversight. I want to ensure that the FDA is, is doing everything necessary and possible mm-hmm. to ensure the health and safety of the American public, as is their mandate. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Abbott was should have been well aware of the trajectory that we were on and, and their potential inability to meet market demand. Well, if we're to believe the whistleblower report, Abbott did know 
And, you know, look, people have very basic questions, and you understand this as a parent. They sit back like, I don't know what's going on here. I just can't get baby formula. Where's the White House on this? You know, we've been through a number of different shortages. What would you tell people who want to blame President Biden? I, I would say as a, as a parent, um, I absolutely understand people's frustration. As an American, I am just tired of the continued challenges that we face, supply chain related, uh, and it, it feels uh, and I understand this. It feels like it is one thing after another. I'm a former CIA officer. I always do an after-action report. You <laughs> should always understand a problem, how something occurred, mm-hmm. you know, what could have been done differently or better. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, in this moment um, and moving forward, yeah, we want to understand the disruptions within our supply chain, be it meat, be it gas, be it uh, baby formula. But these issues shouldn't be partisan punching bags. And I think every American should be asking themselves, like, which legislators uh, are actually trying to fix these problems and trying to address them head on. The view from Virginia's 7th Congressional District's Representative Abigail Spanberger. Thanks for your insights today on Bloomberg. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We hand this one to the panel next. Rick and Jeannie's take on the baby formula shortage. What's the next shortage after this one? I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, House passes FDA baby formula bill, but Senate fate uncertain. We've talked about this a couple of times this hour, but the House did pass $28 million in emergency funding for the FDA. They say it'll address the shortage of infant formula. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke about it today at her weekly briefing. Back to the kitchen table for the babies, for the children. We were very pleased yesterday uh, that we were able to pass two bills that address the baby formula shortage. Republicans not interested. The House bill opposed by Republicans who says it offers a blank check to the FDA, as I read on the terminal, without securing an immediate boost in formula supply. Looks like it does not have enough support in the Senate to pass. And so we're likely left with what the administration has already done here, of course, invoking the Defense Production Act to step up production of baby formula. We reassembled a panel in the midst of the shortage now crisis with Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, we've gotten to this a couple of times on the program. Now this has become a screaming headline. President Biden says it is his top priority right now. Speaker Pelosi likes to say the baby is crying now. But are any of these going to help now? Well, it's kind of like putting Jeannie back in the bottle. Uh, this has been going on for quite some time. The, 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 the public has already felt the pain of not being able to access a, a, a commodity that's critical to, to families all over the country. And 
why it has taken this long for the administration to then react. And and you could argue almost overreact, right? Now we're using military assets to fly baby formula in from all around the world so that we can restock the shelves. But where was this administration when this was already emerging? I mean, it was sort of blind and the FDA was out there, you know, basically making it harder to, to produce a supply yeah. um, with Abbott Labs betting, getting uh, Abbott facility getting shut down and, and, and with no plan to reopen it. Now, all of a sudden, there's a, a, a plan to reopen it. So, you know, it's, it's, it, honestly, it's, it's reminiscent of the energy uh, problem where we were short on supply, prices started going up, and then, you know, once again, the administration tries to put their finger in the dike and, and keep it all together, but it's right. all after the fact. Well, that's just it, Jeannie. This could have been handled months ago. Should the FDA not be faulted for this or this something we're just going to all blame Abbott Labs for? It, you know, it it should have been handled months ago, but we also need to step back and say that this has very little to do with the Biden administration. We need to recognize this is a government-created problem. Explain have, why, though, because people want to blame the Biden administration. Well, well, because they happen to be in control of the government right now, and, and I am critical of the speed at which they've done this. And, of course, the president's, you know, operation, what did he call, Operation Fly Formula and the, you know, Defense Production Act, that's going to do very little to solve it. The real problem here is, number one, we have one supplier with 40% share that gets shut down, and that is the same supplier. 50% of the children born in this country fall under WIC. That one supplier has contracts with 49 states. And then you add to that Mead Johnson, which has the other 15, because there's more than just states, you have almost 90% of the babies in the WIC program. They are being served by these two companies. So we have a problem, number one, again, government created with this contracts. Everything is then on top of that being sourced in the U.S. I thought it was really interesting in your discussion with the representative. She said she had a baby overseas. We yeah. can trust the formula there. Right. We absolutely can. And you can't be stopping that from coming in. You know, the president wants to fly planes and bring formula back. Our problem is not, you know, transport to Europe. Our problem is, is that we haven't posed these enormous, you know, boundaries and obstacles to getting formula into this country. So oh this goodness. is a government imposed mess. It extends well beyond the Biden administration. But of course, they've got to solve it now. And, you know, their plan right now is not going to do that much to address the problem yeah. of this 40 percent share. Apparently not. But, you know, a couple of things here, Rick. The FDA is part of the Biden administration and could have dealt with this months ago, right? Also, the FDA has not had a chair until just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, there's been an acting chair uh, in, in all of this through COVID. It's, it, this, this does date back through the beginnings of, uh, of the year. This goes back to last September, as we heard from Rosa DeLauro. Is it, is it not, in your view, the Biden administration's problem? Yeah, absolutely. The Biden administration is on point here. They've had time to make these kinds of changes if they had been focused on it. And this is uh, part of what we're seeing emerge is this lack of competency. You know, we talked a lot about it last summer. Over a year ago, hmm. uh, the competency issue came up with the really haphazard withdrawal that lost lives in Afghanistan, started to raise questions amongst the electorate. Is this really the administration that we'd hoped for? You know, we were tired of all the drama around Trump and all we wanted was competency. We didn't want sure. drama. And now here we have drama again. And it's not just this. It's in the housing markets, in the automobile markets, it's 
in the labor markets. It, it, this administration really needs to be able to articulate plans for how to get these post-COVID transition into this new economy uh, and not have these levels of shortages in all these different categories. Jeannie, should we be taking formula from China? Um, you know, if it's safe, we absolutely should be. You know, we we it's it, unconscionable that the United States have has babies that are going hungry because mm. we can't source formula from overseas, and we have you know basically one production that has forty percent capacity. I mean, that's unconscionable. So if it's safe, it absolutely should be. You know, Democrats are attempting right now to say that you know they are going to pass these bills. That's also a big source of frustration. If a bill doesn't have sixty votes in the Senate, no reason to pass it at this point except right. for political reasons and that's also what frustrates people in the in the constituency and voters well, there's a lot of that going on lately as we spend time with our panel rick and Jeannie here on bloomberg sound on i'm joe matthew in washington i have to ask you both about george w bush you probably heard his comments uh, from dallas uh, this was at an event on election integrity at his uh, presidential library the george w bush presidential center in Dallas. He was talking about election integrity and turning to Russia as an example of a place where elections are rigged. His remark about the war in Ukraine, where he misstated something, turned into a joke. You might also argue it turned into an admission. And this has a lot of people talking and writing. Listen to what the former president, George W. Bush, said, and we'll talk about it. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia. And the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Mm. Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 75. Uh, okay, a couple of things there. He said 75. I think he's referring to his age. But right before that, he said Iraq, too. So we had... A slip up, maybe a Freudian slip, but then was it followed, Rick, by an admission? I'm sure it's on his mind, right? I mean, he's uh, done a better job than any president in memory of disappearing after his two terms of uh, office. And, and, he, and he was very unpopular because of the war in Iraq. And I, I would say, I'm, I'm just wondering, you have to scratch your head and say, was he actually thinking of Dick Cheney, who I think he thinks was the one who actually uh, designed and executed the invasion of Iraq? So, yes, I mean, right. like, it's a Freudian moment by any stretch of the imagination. I want to just have everyone hear it again, because not everyone is writing up the Iraq 2 part. You have him correct himself. I mean, Ukraine. But listen to what he said after that again, Jeannie. And brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> right here. Iraq 2. Anyway. Uh, Iraq 2. And it got a laugh from the crowd, Jeannie. What, what did he mean by that? You know, it, it sounds like it was a slip up, but it, it was a slip up that speaks volumes. And, you know, I happen to agree with Rick on this, that I, I think there is a chance that President Bush feels that he was misled by Dick Cheney and others in the administration pushed wow. him into an invasion. And of course, this is not a laughing matter at all. This is something that profoundly changed the trajectory of the United States. I mean, sure. we can just start with the fact that this was one of the main talks 
talking points for somebody like Donald Trump, like Barack Obama and others. So, you know, when I, I do wonder if he could have been more honest and said something more profound about oh, how man, that he, would have been something. Yeah. And so, you know, a slip up is one thing, but it mm-hmm. sounds like he has real regrets and he should, quite frankly. Well, just imagine to your point, Jeannie, the, this is funny in a way. It's really not funny when you consider parents of fallen service members hearing that. Does he need to follow up on this? Does he need to answer some questions, Rick? You know, I, I'm sure he'll be asked uh, quite a few, and I think he will um, do what every politician does after a sort of live mic moment like that, and uh, and and probably just dismiss it as uh, a lame attempt at a, at humor. And, okay. And so, uh, I can't imagine anybody wants to reopen that chapter right now. It's a painful, uh, harsh lesson of American adventurism in a foreign country, and uh, I doubt if there was anything other than. Uh, a slip up on his part and probably somewhat of an admission, but I doubt wow. if it'll go much beyond this. Oh, well, for those of us who lived through that debate, I mean, that's that's pretty seismic stuff, it seems to me. And Jeannie, while we're talking about oversight here with this next $40 billion we're handing over to Ukraine, there are lessons that were learned in that war about oversight, the use of contractors. You remember the no-bid contracts? I mean, this stuff, boy, that brings back a lot of memories. It does. And, and, you know, when we think about it, and you're talking about the number of people killed, both, you know, military and civilians, by some counts, we're talking 200,000 people, many of them civilians. And also, of course, then you have the military deaths. So this is not a laughing matter. I, I doubt he's going to come out and say something, but you don't think so. I, I, I doubt it. But uh, he actually should because there is responsibility there that hasn't been accepted. Rick and Jeannie with us, our Sound On Signature panel. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, and always an informative and insightful conversation. That's why you're here on the fastest hour in politics. If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast, Sound On, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.